That song that we just sang, Christ is mine forevermore. There's a testimonial of the, of the Christian life that's in that song. And it's not all positive, is it? It's not all good, and yet it's ours. Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him in this limited time of the opportunity to walk by faith and not yet by sight. And yet I look for worldly treasure. I forsake in some of my choices and actions. I forsake the king of kings. Mine are tears in times of sorrow. Darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. I see a lot and it's not good. And that weighs upon our hearts and sometimes just these circumstances and the situations of, of life weigh us down. And our faith needs to answer those times and yet Sometimes it's not ready, and it doesn't. And why is that, and how is that? I don't want to talk about that this morning. Related to that, I got an email this week. Now, this email was supposedly good news. It, it, apparently, I was to be given, somebody had seen our church website and was impressed by our ministries, and I was to be given several million dollars for the church's ministry. <laughs> you laugh. Isn't that good news? And yet, I mean, I get, that's not the first email like that that I've gotten. I get them now and again fairly regularly. And yet, we just keep somehow plodding along week by week. I, 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 we let people know there are offering boxes in the back. And, and uh, that please, yes, pray for how the Lord would have you participate and join in with this building project that he set before us. But we're not waiting for an email that announces the million dollars are coming. Um, why is it that I don't pay attention to such emails? Well, I don't really think that what they describe is actually real, right? And we don't react to, we don't respond to, we don't reorder, redirect our lives on things that we don't really think are true, or at least don't really expect are going to be true for me. Why is it, why is it, on that basis, why is it that I read the things that I read and hear in God's Word don't change my life in the ways that it would seem that they should? Why is it that in many ways, I do the same kinds of things, going about life not so very differently from the other people that live on my street? Could it be because that I don't maybe fully comprehend, I don't maybe fully believe what it is that I've heard God said? I heard God say this. I believe that he said that. But it doesn't somehow sink into real for me or not real yet. I don't grab hold of it, and so it doesn't grab hold of me. Now, clarity in our hope is going to change our present perspective. Clarity in our hope, that we, as we are given it from the gospel, is going to change and have its impact on 
what we believe and what we do. It's going to change the perspective of how we look at the things that are going on around us. To say it another way, from maybe the opposite direction, an obedience problem in my life, an obedience to the will of God problem in my life is probably actually a believing the gospel problem. Because what I do, I do based on what I'm believing. And so what I'm also not doing is also related in some way to what I'm believing or not believing. And we see that really clearly in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, you, you, um, you have the women go to the tomb. You have the men on the road to Emmaus and this wonderful encounter with the Lord Jesus. They don't even realize it until it's already over. Well, the problem is, what are they expecting? The problem is all about expectations. And so I took that reality out of the story, and I wanted to pose the question to you, really, what are you expecting? What are you expecting in life, out of life? What are you expecting that your faith does in relation to life? Changes that it makes or doesn't. What are you expecting? What would you expect if you were to go to a graveyard to open a tomb? You would expect bodies and bones because that's normal experience. That's what you have in a cemetery. You have bodies and bones. Everybody knows that. And because these women did not take to heart that Jesus would rise on the third day, they came to the tomb to prepare his body, which was not there. They came for a burial which is already over. Let's take the two on the road to Emmaus. What would you expect if Rome killed your king? If Rome killed your king, then that means things aren't going to change. Things are going to continue. Life is going to be just as it has been the way we've known it up till now. Because the disciples on the road did not believe the women's idle tale, of Jesus being raised, they continued down their road of hopeless return to life as it always was. I think what the passage tells us, and I'm, I want us to pause and read it in just a moment, but I think what the passage tells us is that to the extent we believe what God has said, it changes what we do. Now that's not a binary, a, a, a true or false. It's to the extent that we believe what God has said. It changes what we do. And we are on a trajectory, I hope, we are on a trajectory of spiritual growth. A trajectory that, that begins with, with um, where we're at now and yet is in a trajectory of increasing faith, which a, is also resulting in a changed and a transformed life. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. This is an important aspect of spiritual maturity, and that's why uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he gives us that classic, the apostles' prayer for the church. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, 
in Ephesians chapter 1, that Paul prays for the church that they would know what God has said and that it is true. What he's already described to them, what he's already told them. Let's pause and, and read in Luke chapter 24. We've already begun reading it as we started our service. I think we read down to verse 7. So we'll pick it up in verse 8, and I'd like us to stand, I'd like us to lean in even physically to, to attention to these stories. Maybe we'll hear something there that we haven't heard before. Luke chapter 24 from verse 8, if you're following along in a, in a church Bible, you'll find us on page 884 or 885. From verse 8, they remembered his words that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. They remembered his words, and so, returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling, but not yet knowing, believing. That very day, two of them were going to a village near Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with one another as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of, those who, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman said. But him, they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Lord, indeed, would you open the eyes of our understanding? Lord, would you help us to, to hear what we have heard? Lord, though we know we have heard, we believe, Father, would you help us in our unbelief? Would you help us to see our current circumstances in the perspective of the promise of your eternity and even your power by your Spirit in us today? We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as they, they, the ladies went to the tomb, what was it that made the difference for them? Was it, it, it was not the empty tomb, nor even the appearance of angels, or even the appearance of Jesus himself. That's not even included in Luke's version of the story. But what made the difference for them was the word of God miraculously opened to unseen understanding. The women turned from a loving burial preparation to running to tell this good news to others. Those on the road from woeful despair about the current events that have been happening around them to their hearts burning from the scriptures being opened to them. From plodding along toward life as usual to turning and running to tell the good news to others. That's a change in action that comes from a change in expectation. It's a, a change in behavior that comes from a change in believing. And, and this is not only a resurrection Sunday morning. This continues to be a problem in the church. Paul addresses it when he writes the church at Corinth. A church that ought to be in Paul's estimation, by the number of things that he's correcting, a church that ought to be different, changed from what it is. They're, they're much, too much like the, the culture around them rather than being different based on what they're believing. And the problem is what they're not believing. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I delivered to you, Paul says, of first importance what I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, and he appeared. He was seen by many. And then jump to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, it does not appear that they were denying the reality of the historical gospel that Jesus was raised from the dead, but what they were denying or what they were not believing was that they also, in Christ, would be raised from the dead. They were missing. And because of that, because they saw no connection to their present physical, bodily, mortal life to a future with God in his kingdom, those were two separate and distinct things in different categories. One was now, one was then, and they didn't have any link together then the, what they believed about the future did not bleed into how they lived in their humanity. 
in these weak, fleshly, human bodies. It seemed true to them then. It'll be true in the future, but it's not as real today. And that's what sometimes bleeds into our faith. What we think will be true one day in the future, we don't see as true or real or relevant today. It doesn't impact what's happening now. I want to give you two, two principles to apply. And they're, and they're relatively simple. They come right out of the stories that are before us that'll, that'll help us with this problem of a, of a disconnect of our faith what do I really believe? What am I really expecting? The first is, as the, angel, as the angels tell the women, remember what he told you. Remember what he told us. We set our expectations, not on our own experience, not on our own, our own imaginations, but we set our expectations based on what it is that God has told us. Faith is not believing something. Faith, biblical faith, is believing what God has said. It is not believing what you wish for that God has not said. Faith, biblical faith, is believing what God has said. Remember what he told you. And then the second principle for the, from the two on the road is to get your perspective from God's word and not from the headlines of today. Get your perspective from God's word, not from the headlines of the day. Okay, first, let's, let's rehearse some of the details of the women coming to the tomb early in the morning. It's early dawn. Literally, it's deep dawn. It is, it is the earliest light of morning. Now, in the Jewish experience, day actually starts the night before, right? The Jewish day starts with the coming of evening. So it's all already the, the third day. And yet, in the middle of the night, they, they don't go out and they cannot see. And, and at, the, at the earliest part of dawn, when they can just begin to make their way through the city streets and out the pathway on towards that stone quarry, and there they see, in the middle of that, stone, that limestone quarry where rocks have been dug down in out of the quarrying, but there was a hill left in the middle of it because there's a fatal flaw through that section of the limestone. And so that rock in the middle, that hill stands out as the stone, the limestone that the builders had rejected. And near around this quarry, there are now new graves that have been dug into the sides of the limestone, maybe even some of the walls left from the quarry. And it was in one of those tombs, and they were very careful to see which one. That's where the body was laid. And so they make their way there when they can just barely see their way. And they arrive, at the, and can you see in the midst of the dark gloom of the morning, can you see what they're carrying? They're loaded down with spices and oil to anoint the body. Now, what are the spices for? These aromatic spices left with the body and packed around the body, they are to give a sweet aroma in the tomb. It's to cover, it's to mask. You honor the deceased. Well, you honor somebody when they're living with nice clothes and... Um, other ways that, that enhance their appearance. But when they're gone, the one last thing you can do to honor them is that their grave does not stink. And that's what they're doing. They're perfuming his body so that the spices will mask and cover over the odor of decay 
in the days and weeks and months that will follow. It's a pitiful scene, but it's the last farewell act of love. And so they come. They come not coming to await his resurrection. No. They come with their spices because they do not believe those words of David that Jesus himself has alluded to, that you will not abandon my soul to Hades, and you will not allow your Holy One, the Messiah, to, uh, to see corruption. They're expecting his body will see corruption. That's why the spices. They come with these expectations because they do not remember what God has said. They come and they find the stone rolled away. They, they, they found what they did not expect and they do not find what they do expect. The stone is rolled away. Now Matthew tells us that God rolled away the stone, but Luke doesn't include that. He's telling us the story from the women's perspective. They don't know what happened with the stone. The stone is, 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 is rolled away. They, they don't find what they thought they would find. They, do, they, they don't find what they expected, the body to be there, ready for them to care for. There was no body to find. How the tomb could be empty is, is, is perplexing to them. It's beyond their comprehension. They don't understand it. And yet the tomb is empty, and that is important. It's important for the church in the first century to understand that the body is not there because there would be otherwise, in the Greek world, there would be this mindset that Jesus is raised to a new body that is di different and distinct. It is not connected to the old body at all. The old body is weak and flesh. The new body is, is, is strong in life and spirit. But that's not what happens. This is the, the, his body that died. His body is raised and changed and transformed and glorified. That's what happened with his body. That's what will happen with ours. And so the hope of the church through the centuries has been that this mortal body, this mortality must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. And there is some hope as well that by the power of the Spirit living within, that even in this corruptible still, I can put on a little more of the new. I can live a little more toward the incorruptible that is coming, that will one day be reality. But Paul makes the point to the Corinthians that what they do in the body, in the flesh, matters. That we are already leaning into God's future, where we will be changed, we will be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And so, there at the tomb, the empty tomb, because Jesus has been raised, they see two men. Now, they're not men, are they? They're, they're in dazzling. The word is lightning apparel. It's brilliant and flashy, and, and it's, 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 even, it's even fancier than that, that um, fancy robe that Herod is going to be wearing in Acts chapter 12 when they thought that he must be a god, or at least they're flattering him that way. These angels in dazzling apparel, well, the two men, they, they, they seem to be, but the women realize others later, other later on. They, they, they're described when they go to the apostles as angels. There are two men there at the tomb who speak to the women, and so that their witness is confirmed according to the law, according to those women's expectations. This is not just a crazy vision that they had. This is, 
They have heard from witnesses that Jesus is risen. Heavenly witnesses at that. They ask the question, why do you seek the living among the dead? Another way to ask that same question is, why do you think he's still dead? That's what they come believing. But did he not say to you on the third day, check your calendar, what day is it? It's the third day. That's so remarkable about the, about the two on the road to Emmaus. They say, it's already the third day. That should have triggered something. Jesus had told, told them repeatedly, and on the third day, rise again. And he does, just as he said. Why do you think he's still dead? Remember how he told you. Remember what he told you. For these women, faith begins not with the miraculous. We saw an angel. They appeared to them as men. We saw the stone miraculously rolled away. No, they came and the grave was open. Luke doesn't even, even describe Mary Magdalene lingering a little longer and bumping into the gardener who turns out to be Jesus. Luke doesn't include that. He keeps it simple that it's on the testimony of the angels that points them back to the gospel, the word of God that they'd already heard from Jesus himself. Remember how he told you, and that's what makes the difference for them. Faith begins for them with, with the heaven-sent messengers who remind them of what God has said. And because they believe these messengers sent to them, they become heaven's messengers sent to others. And so will you. To the extent that you also believe that which was given to you, you also will be passing it on. You don't keep good news to yourself. Good news you pass on to other people. You want them to know. To the extent that we are believing in the moment, and I'm not, I'm not doubting your faith. I don't want you to question your faith. Well, maybe I'm not saved at all. That's not the point. But to the extent that we believe, it will be leaking out of us. Remember what he told you. I love this part, and it gives me, it gives me hope for myself as well. When the apostles heard, they told these things to the apostles. Now, Paul, now, now, now earlier he described them as the eleven, but, but then later he describes them as the apostles. He doesn't say disciples, he says apostles. Disciples are learners, and yes, they're still learning, but apostles are what? Apostles are sent ones. Sent messengers, ones who are sent with a message. And he, he, he the, the apostles... Believe that the women have just, they come with some wild story of visions. No, they didn't come with a wild story of visions. There were these two men who were actually angels. And they considered what they said as idle tales. Oh, you know how women can be. You know, they get so caught up in the moment. You know, they're overcome with grief. They're not being rational. And, you know, that's just... You know how, Peter, would you just go and John maybe go with him? Could you guys just check it out and see and just make sure there's nothing going on there? That's probably what they were going to do. Make sure there's nothing going on there because they were expecting that nothing was going on there. That's why the women themselves went to the tomb. But this was the apostles. Or those who would be his apostles. Those who would be his sent ones. 
because the very ones who assumed at first that this is merely idle tales are the same ones who themselves would scatter around the world telling everybody they can and they turn the world upside down. That gives me hope. That gives me confidence. First of all, in my hesitancy of faith at times or in certain moments, but also in who I will tell, who you will talk to, that initially now, at first, it seems they reject it out of hand as a silly myth that you foolishly believe. These are just idle tales. These are stories from the past. They're not really true. It doesn't really relate to us in life today. We're a lot, we're a lot more intelligent now than people who used to believe these things centuries ago. And yet, you plant, you water that seed, and you trust God by His Spirit to give the increase. And He will. You never know how that will turn out, even among these apostles. Initially, that's silly. And yet they were the ones who turned the world upside down. Remember what he told you. Secondly, get your perspective from God's word, not the headlines. Circumstances of the day, the news around us can overwhelm us. There is good news and there is bad news. And if we focus on the bad news, the news of the day, all the stuff that's happening, that can easily change our perspective about the good news. We will interpret the good news based on our experience. We'll interpret the good news based on bad things that we hear. Things, in fact, that haven't really even fully happened. And yet, we're assuming they probably will, and that changes our perspective on the good news and the reality of it in life today. What if we turn that around? What if we use the good news to shape our perspective about the bad news that we're seeing? This should not surprise us. This should not shock us. This should not cause us to go into despair, the things that are happening around us today. God said it would be like this. In fact, in most of the world, Christians have been experiencing these kinds of things throughout their entire lives, throughout the existence of the church in those areas. Why would we be so surprised? He said in this world we would have tribulation, and yet he said, be of good courage, I have overcome the world. Remember what he said, and get your perspective from God's word rather than from the headlines. Let's see how that plays out with these two on the road. There they are walking along. They've gotten a late start. There's been a lot of activity. There's been a lot of excitement early, you know, what's going on. There's all this hubbub about the women who came from the tomb. And then, then a couple of the men run back to the tomb. And then they come back to the room and they report back to the others. And <sighs> finally, apparently nothing happened at the tomb. So they finally depart, getting a bit of a late start. They depart down the road from Jerusalem down toward Emmaus. We don't know exactly how far that is. It's roughly seven miles, but we don't know if that's round trip. The um, biblical Emmaus could be as close as three and a half miles away. It could be seven miles away. Others have other ideas about that. That's not really the point. They're going back to life as normal. It's kind of like, Peter, I'm going fishing. Anybody want to come? Nothing else to do. Might as well go fishing. Nothing else to do, nothing else is going on, we might as well go home. We might as well go back down the road to life as normal. And so they go. And they're walking slow. Because 
of the mood that they're in, because of the outlook that they have, the expectation that they have. There's nothing in Emmaus that they're in a hurry to get to. They're going back to life as normal. And so as they drag down the road, there's another walker on the road who overtakes them relatively easily, and he intends to. And he asks them, they're, they're so engaged in their conversation, they don't even see his approach. And, and he, he asks them what they're talking about so intently. And they, and they ask him one of my favorite lines in the whole story. Are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who does not know these things that have been going on? Really? He doesn't know? They are talking to the only one in all Jerusalem who really knows all these things that have been going on. Reminds me of my eagerness to inform God of what's happening and what he should do. <sighs> well, so Jesus asks innocently enough, well, what things? Tell me about it. Well, they talk about Jesus, a prophet, mighty in word and deed, and, and uh, among the people, and yet the rulers rejected him. They, they delivered him over to be crucified. And, and yet, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that where the crucifixion part comes in? And, and, and now, well, it's, it's already the third day. Well, wait a minute. He would be crucified. The suffering service would, 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 would bear our transgressions in his own body on the tree. And he, the righteous one, would make many righteous. And, and God would extend his days. He would be raised from the dead just as he said. And they don't see any of this. Not only that. On the third day, there were some of our women, they, they, they said they saw angels, and these angels, whatever, apparently said that he was alive. We went to the tomb, but we didn't see him. And Jesus had enough now. It's like, oh. And the word seems harsh. Foolish ones. I want to suggest to you, that, that, that's a good translation of that word, but there's another translation. What it means is you, you're, you're foolish because you don't see things how they really are. So in this situation with Jesus standing right in front of him, another way to read it that catches the irony of the story is, oh, unseen ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the Scriptures have said. We pick and choose. So did they. They picked this, they chose that, they believed that, they missed this completely. They can point out that it's the third day and there's a tumult at the tomb, and yet they haven't put any of that together. And so, and so, beginning at Moses and, and, all, and the prophets, he explained to them from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I could go back to one place in biblical history. If I had a time machine and one coin for the slot, that's where I would go. I would love to be in on that Old Testament survey. I would love to hear what was it that Jesus talks about there. And obviously he can't tell, tell all of it. So, so he, he, there's some stuff he's just got to leave off for later. But certainly he must talk about Abraham and Isaac on the way to Mount Moriah. 
He must talk about Joseph rejected and his brothers and cast in, into, a, into a, a pit and then raised up out of that pit and exalted to the right hand of the king. He must talk about the Passover, Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. Certainly he talks about the sacrifices for sin and the day of atonement and on he goes and he's got to spend some time in Isaiah 53. Of all the other places that he must go, surely he goes there as well. And I would love to listen in on that. But as he explains to them, their response, as they describe it later was, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? They recognize him finally when they sit down for a meal. Yes, he blesses the bread and then he breaks it and he gives it to them. And we wonder, did they see then the nail prints in his hands? Maybe. I, I used to put a, a lot more into that than I do now. Because the emphasis here is their hearts burned within them. The, the, the flicker of faith turns into a flame as they're with him along the road and they've got to hear more. They ask him to stay because they've got to hear more. Their faith is becoming alive and they're beginning to see it from God's perspective out of his word instead of merely by the headlines of the day. Their eyes were opened. Their eyes are opened by the Spirit of the living God. And so David's prayer, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Yeah. Their circumstances were terrible, shocking. They were indeed grief-stricken. And there is a time in the midst of grief and sorrow and loss that we're not ready to take in what we need to be able to lean on. And so we give each other a little room for that. We, we take care with one another. And yet, we do need to remember what God has said. And in the midst of the troubles that are going to come upon us, we need to take our perspective from God's Word and not from the headlines of the day and from the experiences that are around us. And so I would take the question of the people in Luke 24 and I'd put it to us, what are you expecting? In the midst of what you're expecting, is it what you're expecting based on remembering what God has told you? Is it getting your perspective from God's word instead of the circumstances? How it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and then to enter into his glory? Oftentimes what God has said clearly in easy to understand terms is just so far out of our categories that we don't hear it, that we don't receive it, that our minds set it aside somewhere. Maybe later I'll come back to that, but it doesn't, it doesn't work for me today. Have you ever had a project, maybe around the house, maybe something's going on with the car? That light comes on. It's a nice little engine emblem. That's really cool. It means something, but you don't know what. And you really don't have time nor money for engine troubles right now. So what do you do? You leave it. You wait. You set that in your mind off to the side somewhere. You'll come back to that later. Well, it might come back to you in another way, but be that as it may. We, we have a habit of things that we, we, we're not sure what to do with. We're not sure where this fits. We'll set that aside. We're aware of it. We know it. 
We believe it. I believe the engine light's on. I believe there's something wrong with the car. But I will assume it'll be okay. It will be until it's not. There's something wrong. And I would be better not to ignore it. I would be ready to face that which I'm not sure about or even scared by. But we, we tend to take, set things aside and carry on with our business. But change comes. Change comes. The turn comes in the story in each of those two cases when they believe what they'd previously heard. They take in God's word. And so should we. We should take in God's word even when we don't understand it. Even when I'm not sure what to do with it, but I take in God's word, I plant the seed in the soil, I'm giving God's spirit something to work with. I'll plant it in there, we'll water it, and let's see what God grows with it. The call to life as followers of Jesus is a call to a new life, a different kind of life. It's a life on different terms toward different goals with different values. It will require us to choose this day, each day, another day, whom I will serve. And the reality of what God has done for us, localized, if you will, epitomized by this resurrection from the dead, wherein God has changed everything, not only for Jesus, but for all who believe in him and who are in him and who will be raised in him to new life. Christ is raised from the dead, the first fruits, and after him, all who are in Christ at his coming. Again, 1 Corinthians 15. So in this new life, in this different life, Paul would say to us, as he said sort of to the Corinthians, why do some among you live as if there were no resurrection? Why do we sometimes live as if life really carries on like everybody else around us and nothing has actually changed? Really? Yet? Today? When it did for the women, it did for the apostles, it did for those two on the road to Emmaus, and it will also for you. Peter said it this way, a verse I recently tried to put to memory because it grabbed, it grabbed my attention. Peter said, said that we will live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. There's not much time left, but whatever I've got left in this flesh, I want to live that not merely for human passions, desires, and ambitions, but for what God's will is for me in this life and in this world. Why? Because Christ is risen. I will then set my affections on things above, not on things of the earth, as Paul told the Colossians. Why? Because Christ is risen. I will then take up my cross and follow him in sacrifice for the sake of his body, the church. Why? Because Christ is risen and everything's, everything's changed. The future is new and open before us and the past no longer has its same hold. I will not fear Russian chaos. 
I will not be dismayed by indicators of political corruption in our present society. I will not despair when godliness seems to increase all around us. Why? Because in the midst of all that, Christ is risen. And everything has changed. And he had, the risen Christ gives the power of his spirit to give his new life even in this mortal body. So I can live new. I can take a risk that is actually no risk at all. Because Christ is risen. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. And so, with Paul, I can say, Therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, we will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, in what he sets before us, in, in, in his will, in his ways, even now in this life, knowing that even the hard work of it, the toil, the cost of it, will not be in vain. It will not be for nothing. It will be worth it all. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and you who believe will be raised in him. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you to open our eyes. Lord, strengthen our faith. Lord, help us to see what is plain on the page before us, and yet we too easily ignore. Lord, it may be your will that I know clearly, and yet I hesitate to step into. Not because I'm confused about what it says and what it tells me. But I'm not sure I believe that all of this will really be true. I'm not sure in my present experience if it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So, Father, would you in the midst of the sorrow of today, the losses that are around us, the confusion of what I don't understand about what you are doing and even what you have done. Lord, help me to remember. Help me to remember what you have told me. Father, help me to set my expectations based on what your word has promised rather than what I experience in this world around us. Lord, for we who believe, Father, help us in our unbelief, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.